Amen. So guys, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're in part seven, so you can listen to get the other six parts. I don't think they're online yet, but I'll send them to you if you're like, ah, I want to know it. So um, we're in part seven, if we just fire the slide up. Uh, of this series, the Abundant Life series, where predominantly we've been focused on our giving. It's a series on generosity. Today, the title is Extravagance. 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 There was once a woman, I'm going to tell you guys a story. There was once a woman, and she sees her brother die. She sees her brother die. He's there. Her beloved brother, who she'd grown up with, who she loved with all her heart, who possibly was the main person who was looking after her and her sister financially, maybe the main breadwinner. And they lay his body in this cold, hard tomb. They had a hope, you see, and they were devastated because they had this hope that this healer would come to the town that they were living in and that her brother, who was very sick, would be healed. But you know, the healer, he actually, he arrived too late to the settlement. And he walks into town to meet with weeping, to meet with hopelessness. And he looked on and he saw their sorrow and he wept. The sorrow of death had been realized upon this group of people. And in the midst of their despair and in the midst of their sorrow, he does this strange thing and he walks up and he goes to the mouth of the tomb and he looks inside like what's he doing and he leans into the tomb and he speaks and he says Lazarus come out Lazarus come out and the woman thinks she thinks what's he doing and fear and wonder begin to grip her heart as her world is completely rocked because there's movement in the back of the tomb. There's movement in the darkness. See, where there was hopelessness, suddenly there's this flash of hope. Suddenly there's hope. Where a moment before there was death, now there is there's life. And the sun touches Lazarus's face as he walks out of the tomb, shrouded in these grave clothes, and he comes out, and Mary rushes to her brother, asks him, what is this? What was going through her mind as she stood there outside the tomb as her brother walked out? What was going in her mind? Who is this man? who speaks to the dead and they live her brother her beloved brother alive again how much do you think in that moment her perspective shifted forever permanently changed affected by that moment outside her brother's tomb how does her gratitude shift towards Jesus Think how grateful she is to this man who's spoken and her brother lives. 
How does her perspective in that moment shift? Her perspective of life and the value she places on the things in life completely alter. All of this happens in John 11. You can go and read it. All happens in John 11. But you know, it's not the end of the story. We're not just there yet. It's not the end of the story. Jesus and the disciples, they go off, they go to Ephraim because they're being searched for, they're being looked for. They stop traveling. They kind of hide out there for a while. They don't leave there until they start going back. Until they start going back to Jerusalem, back up for the last time where Christ's going to be crucified. But on the way, on their journey back, the first place they stop is Bethany. They stop at Bethany where Lazarus lived. And Mary does something very odd. Mary does something very unusual. That shift in perspective causes her to do this act of extravagant giving, extravagant generosity that we see in chapter 12. Let's put it here. John 12, 1 to 8. It was six days before the Passover feast. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Lazarus was the one Jesus had raised from the dead. A dinner was given at Bethany to honor Jesus. Martha served the food. Lazarus was among the people at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. It was an expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the sweet smell of perfume. But Judas Iscariot didn't like what Mary did. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Later, he was going to hand Jesus over to his enemies. And Judas said, why wasn't this perfume sold? Why wasn't the money given to the poor people? It was worth a year's pay. Imagine your year's salary. It was worth a year's pay. He didn't say this because he cared for the poor. He said it because he was a thief. Judas was in charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. The perfume was meant for the day I am buried. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Today, we are looking at extravagant generosity, extravagant giving. God is a God of extravagance. We are called to reflect his extravagant generosity to each other and to the world. Generosity versus selfishness. Generosity and selfishness. Let's look at that. Look at our hearts. Mary versus Judas. We get that amazing juxtaposition here in that story. Mary's whole perspective, you remember 
from chapter 11, the story I told right at the beginning. Mary's whole perspective must have shifted. This is, it's such an extravagant gift for someone who doesn't have loads. Such an extravagant act of generosity. She takes this jar of perfume and she pours it out all over Jesus' feet. It's not even here. Use it as you wish. It's, she pours, it's an act of extravagance as well. She pours it out over his feet. In Mark, it says that she poured it on his head as well. Imagine Jesus sat there, he's just covered in the stuff. Amazing. There's this extravagance, almost ludicrous extravagance about her. This over-the-top nature about what she's doing in action and in expense. The perfume, it says in the passage, right, it would have cost a year's wages. A year's wages. This could be like her, her more than her rainy day fund. Her nest egg. Her savings. Imagine your annual salary. And that it's you bought a perfume that's worth the same as the amount of money you earn in a year and decided to pour it on someone's feet and on their head as well. It's a pint. So it's got a lot of the stuff. That's extravagant. It's extravagant. Something dramatic happened in her heart. Something to get her to the point where she does what she does. Her perspective had changed in her gratitude towards him and in the value she placed on the things of this world. It's this journey from generosity into extravagant generosity. What was Judas's response? What was Judas's response? He doesn't like it, does he? He's like, that was a terrible idea. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like this act of generosity that Mary did. He makes out that it's a waste. That, oh, we could have sold this. It could have been for the poor. But actually, and we read it in the text, he, it's not that he's got this massive, amazing heart for the poor, and he's saying, oh, it's a bit of a waste because he doesn't get the big picture. It's not like that. He's using the poor as an excuse. But actually, the text says he didn't care for the poor. It was because he was a thief. That's why he doesn't like it. His heart was not generous. He was planning to steal the money. He saw it as mon that money as money that he could have had. Money that could have been kept for him and his purposes, not given to the Lord and his purposes. Who was in charge of the money bag? Amongst Jesus' 12 disciples, who was in charge of the money bag? Judas, yeah. You know, Judas was expecting in the near future, six days away, he's expecting in the near future to be for Jesus to be arrested. If Jesus is arrested, the head of this movement and the group of disciples disband, who's it that's going to be left with the money bag? Judas, right? Judas. Quite possibly... He was only there cozying up to this guy who's going to be the king of this new kingdom. And that there's a point in the ministry where he realizes, hang on, this kingdom that's coming isn't what I thought it was going to be. Not about wealth and riches and being the right-hand guy to this king. But actually it's about laying everything down. That something's different that he wasn't going to get the position and the wealth and the power. 
that that kingdom just isn't what he thought. That actually, you know, his heart is just totally selfish. He is robbing God. He's robbing the purse intended. It says he's taking money out, doesn't it? He's robbing the purse intended for Jesus' mission. He is robbing the poor because that's the purse that the poor gets fed out of. He's more interested in looking after himself than that of the people that the ministry serves. We face that challenge. I can tell you, if you think about it big picture, I, I face that challenge. We all face that challenge every time we're faced with giving. Generosity or selfishness. Keeping the money for ourselves. Giving the money for his purposes. And there are times and places to know and have wisdom how to give. Generosity and selfishness come down to this question, where is your heart, where is your perspective? Where is your heart, where is your perspective, or what is your perspective? Who was it that put Judas in charge of the money? Jesus, right? Jesus did. It's not, oh, actually, I don't want him there, but actually, I've got this from a bunch of board members who say, actually, this guy has to look after the money. It doesn't work like that. Jesus put him in charge of the money. Did Jesus know he had a problem with money? Probably, yeah. Knows his heart. Jesus didn't put him, though, in charge of the money because he was trying to make him fall, trying to make him mess up. He put him in charge of the money because he wanted to give Judas the opportunity to triumph over money. How many times in this series have we spoken about money being a test for our hearts? The tithe, the tenth, the ten being a test of our hearts. The way we handle money is a test. Money is so important because it reflects our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's about testing. He put him in charge of the money, not to trip him up, but so that he would triumph over it. In Christ, we're all conquerors over sin. If you struggle with giving, if you struggle with it, you can overcome that. You can overcome that. It's so important that selfishness is buried. And selfishness in our can seem like a hard word, but actually when you strip away everything, you've got generosity and selfishness. That selfishness is buried and generosity lives. It's so important that selfishness is buried if we're going to even approach the subject of extravagant giving, to be a giver like Mary. Second point, purpose, that there is a purpose for every gift. There's a purpose for every gift. You may feel led in some way to give something to someone, and it may be completely random. I just feel I need to give this to you. Money, maybe something else, right? in some way that you had no idea of the significance of what it meant to that person. You need to know that there's always a purpose when God's asking you to give. Mary doesn't know what she's doing in that story, does she? She's, there's just obviously something has happened in her and she thinks, I'm gonna pour this jar of perfume on Jesus. He'll like that maybe, but, but this is all I've got to give, so I'm just going to pour it on him. I don't know what, what went through her head, but it's coming from this place of generosity. I don't think she's thinking, he's going to be dead in a week. You know, doesn't think that. She's not thinking that. 
She goes and it's this display of love and thanks and affection towards Jesus. How do we know it had a purpose? Jesus says it does. So he responds to Judas in verse 8, which I think we've got, verse 7, sorry, which we got up here. It says, leave her alone. Jesus replied, the perfume was meant, meant, purposed, right? The perfume was meant for the day I am buried. When someone is buried in that culture, they were anointed with nard. It's only six days before the Passover. Amazing. This perfume was this strong, smelling, beautiful incense would have stayed with him all that week, right up to the crucifixion, right up to the burial. It wasn't a random act. It had a purpose. I don't know, have you guys ever been given a gift and they're like, I feel God's saying to give this and it comes just in the perfect nick of time. It's like, that's perfect. And sometimes we complain to God, say, God, you only come through in like 11 hours and 59th minute, you know? You come through right at the end. Actually, he comes through when you need it. Because he knows us. Look, if he gave it to us two weeks in advance, we might spend it before we've ever got to the point. But he brings it when we need it. I know I've had times where we've had thought, oh, we feel that we need to give this person something. And you give it to them, and then they're like, that's incredible, because we've been praying, and we need that. That's exactly what we need. That is how God's economy works, through stewards who steward his finances to distribute it around as is needed. And I find it so, I actually find this a significant challenge. Because sometimes I think we think that giving is solely between us and God, only between us two. But actually, often and more than often, there's a need. There's a purpose that's going for. And God doesn't need it in heaven, but he needs to get it to somewhere else on earth. So I find it challenging. See, when God asks me to give, that I need to be fully aware that if I say no... I'm not just saying no to God in some like spiritual sense of not giving something. I'm saying no to, I'm not going to send this thing into that place to what, whether it's directly or indirectly, into whatever that you've got purpose for that money. I'm withholding something from someone somewhere that God wants to bless them with. Now, within all of that, I believe God can find another person and to do the giving. And I believe he does. In fact, I think he does that a lot, you know. But let's not then, when we're in that place, question then why, well, how come this guy keeps getting so blessed? Remember what we spoke about, so with uh, God blesses a rewarder. God gives back rewards, sorry, a giver. God rewarder. God, God rewards a giver. Let's not then be like, hey, how come this guy is actually getting so rewarded? He's just doing what God says. He knows that, God knows if we can give him the money and says send it there, it's going to go there. Every gift has a purpose. We manage his money and his resources to bring about his purposes. And very often, his purposes are extravagant. Very often, his purposes are extravagant. And so therefore, he really needs extravagant givers. He needs extravagant givers. Let's go on to extravagance. This is where we're going to camp out for the rest of the day. Not the rest of the day, the rest of the sermon. No. Extravagance. I'm just going to break it down to these three levels of giving. Okay? This three levels of giving. The tithe. 
The first fruits, right? Bringing the first fruits into the house of God. That's a foundation. That's basic stuff. That is bringing the first fruits to the Lord, honoring the first fruits, honoring the Lord with the first fruits, that the first blesses the rest. And then the offerings and the gifts. And then extravagant giving. You know, amazingly across the world, the global church, Few people tithe. You guys may remember that statistic that we had up right at the big kind of the beginning of the series. Despite the incredible promises promised to a tither. I know some of you guys, since we started this series, have started tithing, and you're already telling me of the incredible stuff that's going on in your life in different ways. Usually those who step up and they test God like the Bible challenges, right? It says, test me in this. It's the only thing God says you can test me in. Those who do and step up and say, and say okay, God, I'll, um, I'll test you in that. And they start tithing. They experience the blessing that comes from tithing. Very often they go on to giving offerings because they suddenly realize, this is amazing. They start giving, they start, um, giving offerings, giving gifts over and above the tithe. But very few people come into extravagant gifts. That's where we're going to be today. Extravagant gifts. My prayer is that we would all experience this being an extravagant gift giver. The Bible is full of extravagant givers. There's no reason why we here in Destiny Church Hong Kong can't be too. Our heart is to be a resourcing church, to be a church to resource missions and uh, ministries all over the world. It's going to take extravagance. King David, he's an extravagant giver, isn't he? We love King David. He set aside from his own wealth for his son Solomon to build the temple, 23 billion US dollars. I hadn't even invented it then, so that was impressive. In the, in the, the, they're like, what's all this paper? Well, that's amazing, it's paper. What's all this papyrus doing here? They set, he set aside in all the kind of, the amount today would have amounted to 23 billion dollars from his own wealth. Isn't that incredible? That is just extravagant. And then after, um, David, we get his son, King Solomon. And King Solomon, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of extravagant stuff he does. I'm just going to take one. What, he goes up, uh, just after being made king, they go up to one of the high places where they've got the tent of meeting. Remember the tent of meeting? That's where uh, Moses would meet with, with God in the tent of meeting. So not a tabernacle, tent of meeting. So they go up, and it was pitched up there, and they went for this um, quite extravagant camping holiday in itself, right up there wasn't really but they went right up to the top and they went to do sacrifices how many sacrifices do you think they did 10 20 Solomon says that he did a thousand burnt offering sacrifices think of all the animals you've got to get up there imagine if you're a steward like how because you can't take him up dead and then sacrifice them. You've got to get all these live cattle. And just before this, when he'd become, become king, usually they kind of sacrificed a bull. He did a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand male lambs. I mean, I'm surprised there are any animals left in the country you know, after this. And so he, but think of the extravagance of needing to get these animals up there. Why? Because of the sacrifice to Lord. 
What are we sacrificing extravagantly for him? And, but that's not the end of the story. Because what happens that night? Anyone remember what happens that night? Up on the mountain? After they've done all the sacrificing? That night, God comes to him. And it's a verse from Second Chronicles 1.7. It says this. That night, God appeared to Solomon. He said to him, ask for anything that you want me to give you. Ask for anything you want me to give you. That wasn't random. That wasn't random. That comes after this insane, extravagant act of sacrifice to the Lord. And God gives Solomon this blank check. We know the story, right? God gives Solomon the blank check. He doesn't do that for just anyone. We don't have it recorded. He does it for anyone else. He gives him this blank check because he can trust him. Why doesn't God just give everyone blank checks? Because he can't just trust anyone. I don't know if you've ever read this and then thought, oh, what would I ask for? I know, I know I've asked for, oh, I've put myself in this position loads of times and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, no, I'd ask for wisdom, definitely. Hey, yeah, 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 wisdom, yeah, it's amazing, that would be great for me, thanks. But actually, I'm like, actually, 23 billion would be pretty good as well. So, his heart is right. Have you ever thought what you guys would ask for if you were in Solomon's position? Why is it that God trusts Solomon with the blank check? Because he sees his heart. He sees his heart. He has the heart of an extravagant giver, which is like the heart of God. There's another story in the Bible that eclipses these two, that is far more extravagant, greater than David, greater than Solomon. It's the widow with her two mites, very poor, and yet she gives everything, doesn't she? She gives everything she has. That is extravagant. That is incredible. See, extravagance is not about the amount that you're giving. It's about the heart that you're giving with. It's, a, it's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. It's your fullness of trust in him. Because we never really get to see what's going on in the widow's heart. But she must trust the Lord so much for her provision to be able to do that, to be able to give that. She has the most amazing relationship with money that anyone in the Bible probably has. Because he is her complete provider. And that enables her to give everything away. What treasure are we building up, guys? What treasure are we hoarding? What treasure are we trying to take with us into eternity? What treasure are you building that will be waiting for you in eternity? For many, the focus in our world is on gaining money, as if it's something that you can take with you, as if it's something you can take with you into heaven. You know, God says that there are riches that you can amass on earth that will be in heaven waiting for you when you get there. That's a good investment plan. Some people haven't diversified their portfolio enough to include that. 
what treasure will be waiting? Because some people are trying to get gold into heaven when Revelation 21, 21 says, it describes the new Jerusalem and it says the streets are made of gold. It's going to blow my nose. Didn't really need to announce that to the podcast, guys. But <laughs> I mean, it's just ruffling paper near the microphone. I've run on the podcast. Um, that's it. I want to, let's just um, think about, I want to, like, let's imagine, close your eyes, close your eyes. Imagine you can take gold to heaven, all right? Imagine you can take gold to heaven. But let's just imagine for a moment that you, imagine that you're the gatekeeper and actually the earth is heaven, okay? The earth is heaven. How you know the earth is heaven. And you're the gatekeeper and people are just rocking up here on earth. They're dying somewhere else and they're rocking up here on earth, which is heaven. And... There's, you're, you're, you're welcoming them and this guy comes up and um, they're dragging this massive sack this heavy sack with them and, and you say you don't need to bring anything here it's fine we've got, we've got everything for you but they say no 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 I have worked all my life for this I lost my family for this. I spent so many years worrying about this I got ulcers about this I had to go to hospital because of it I want to bring it in. Please just let me bring it in. It means so much to me. And you look inside and all they have in the sack is tarmac. And you just gently say, I'm really sorry, but I'm afraid. You wasted your life amassing this stuff. You know, the pain, the worry, the tears spilled over it. They weren't worth it. That stuff's of little value here. We use it for our roads. We use it for our roads. If you could get your gold into heaven, that's what they'd say when you got there. Oh, that, we use it for the roads. Our money, our stuff is going to stay here. And eventually, everything that is here is going to be gone, right? It's going to be gone. Speaks about everything burnt up. Everything that can burn will burn. But there is something that will never end. There are some things that will never end. People. Souls. You walk out there today and you see those people walking around. Sure, their body's not going to be here forever. But those people out there, they are eternal. You want to invest in things that are eternal in Sai Kung. Don't worry about... The property, although it's great to have beautiful places, it's fine. It's, it's great that blessings whilst we're here, but never at the expense of souls, because souls are eternal. How focused are you on building treasure in the kingdom? That looks like generosity, because generosity is honoring him and it's honoring each other, isn't it? Giving to each other, giving, caring, supporting. It looks like putting other people before your money. It looks like using money as seed to produce the kingdom, like we spoke about before, and that's um, the Sermon on Seed. It looks like putting God and his extravagant agenda first. It's this life of beauty where suddenly it isn't about what you can get with your money, but how your money can bring blessing to others, how it can bring freedom to others, how it can see the lost saved and the one winning. 
And just, just think within that as well. Logically, God says that he rewards a giver. So we should expect return here anyway. But also that we're building up treasure in heaven. And we don't do it for those things. That's just a byproduct of it. We do it for love. We do it because he's called us to it. As we walk that path, as we get a perspective like Mary, our, our eyes shift like Mary, where we see not just our needs and our wants, but rather we see eternity open before our eyes. The big picture. We see a loving Heavenly Father. We see a hope and a future because we see the, the eternal life. The eternal life. And we see the greatest, most extravagant gift of all. And we see him. And as we see him, it leads us into extravagance. God the Father gives the most extravagant gift. Jesus is the most extravagant gift. Think of the extravagance of the gospel. Heaven emptied and earth filled with the glory of the Lord, that God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who we would never have known unless he chose to write himself into our story. He comes and fills this place and dwells among us, is knowable to us. The Son of God, the Son of glory, come, not just to teach and leave as a prophet, but to give, to give his life, that you may have his life, that now that death has been swallowed up in life. There's no more extravagant gift that anyone can give to another than their life. And Jesus pours himself out for all of us. See, upon the cross, Jesus took on himself the punishment for sin for all mankind. One man, Jesus, paid the price that the one man, Adam, brought upon us. Today, restoration into that perfect relationship with God and eternity in his presence is available to all who want it. Available to all who receive it. Why is it that he did it? Why did he do it? Because he loves you. Because he treasures you. He left the gold streets of heaven because there was a treasure he didn't have. You. There was a treasure he valued higher than his throne up there. You. And he came down and lived and died. He desired you. You're created by God. He doesn't care who you are or what you've done, or where you're at today, or how much you've messed up this week. You have value because he created you. You need to know that, because some people don't know that. You need to share that. Why is it you Christians don't believe this? Because we believe people have value. Why don't I believe in euthanasia? Because I believe a person is made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God, that they, they have this beautiful value. Why don't we believe in abortion? Because a baby is knit together in their mother's womb, created by God with inherent value. That he defeated death and has brought life. Mary saw the whole story. Her perspective got bigger. 
The story of her life shifted from one where she worked, saved and tried to kind of get what she needed to one where she saw eternal life stretched out before her. As Lazarus walked out of the tomb that day, something shifted. I wonder for her, who'd been hearing of Jesus and hearing teachings, did the penny drop that in this man there is no death? Maybe she realized that after when she was hearing the gospel. I will never die in him. And that jar on the shelf, that jar on the shelf stopped being a hope for financial future, because maybe that's what it was. Or perhaps even a hope for her future death. Maybe she set that aside for herself, for her death. Suddenly, it is an opportunity for extravagance to the glory of the Lord, the Lord of life. See, the thing about extravagant giving is it becomes easier the more you see. The bigger your perspective, the clearer you see the gospel. The more you see eternity, the more you get his kingdom perspective. It means you're going to treasure people and the Lord more than your money. Their value will be will outweigh in your heart the value of the stuff that you've got. And so guys, I want to end by just sharing these think often experience stages because if we're praying for it maybe you can recognize it so hopefully this will be a blessing so what are the stages of extravagant giving that you may experience because the enemy tries to stop us being extravagant givers so number one number one hearing hearing you hear God he speaks to you about a situation and you think ah, you know he speaks to you about the situation we haven't got that far actually yet. we haven't got the screaming um, he speaks to you about a situation drop something into your heart about a person or a ministry or something you may have had that happen before oh and it's something quite like Whoa, how much you know that's extravagant and then second is the excitement Excitement, so hearing and excitement, that there is this excitement, this buzz around giving. God, you want me to give that? Whoa. This buzz about what God is asking you to do. The wonder and the expectations. If you know, if you know the teaching on giving, what's he going to do? What's he going to do for them? What's he bringing back into here? What's God, what's God up to? He's asking me to do this. He's got something awesome planned. What's going on? And then the fear. Ah! That's where the scream comes. Then the fear. Then we freak out. We start to panic and worry about how much money it is or how big a gift it is or what the thing is. Our emotions go all over the place. Often that's the time the enemy starts speaking. You know, start speaking into your head. No, no. You, you're not. You start fearing things. You can't do that. You can't do that. Be afraid. You're not going to have enough. Be afraid. You can't provide. All these things. And then we kind of get ourselves under control and go into logic. We go into logic. Logic mode. Go into, what is it? Spock mode. We come up with a bunch of reasons why it's a terrible idea. 
Okay, that was a terrible idea, James. And actually, it wasn't your idea, it was God's idea. So, but we've actually, maybe that was my idea and it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. We come up with a bunch of reasons why what we've heard is a bad idea. Maybe why what we've heard isn't from God. Other things that you need to spend that money on. Oh, you know, what, what other projects that you could do? Oh, I could do that and I'll do that next year. You come, we'll come up with 101 reasons why we shouldn't do it. If you think of the logic going through the mind of uh, the, the kind of logic battle that Abraham had, stood on the top of the mountain with Isaac. Imagine that, hearing to sacrifice Isaac, he gets all the way up there. Imagine the battle that's going on in his head, like, what's God doing? Why has he said this? This Isaac is the promised son. He's a promised child. God, this is contradicting what you said to me, so this can't be right. What's happening? But he actually goes through with it, doesn't he? And we see that our logic doesn't always line up with his logic. Here's a challenge for you. Are you using the world's logic or are you using kingdom logic? If you've never heard of kingdom logic, let me explain some of it to you. Kingdom logic should lead us to faith, never to fear or disobedience. Kingdom logic leads us to faith because if we hold to kingdom logic, logic of the upside down kingdom, often things that are illogical to the world are logical. I hope that makes sense. If you think about, let's give it a little example, Peter, okay, Peter, he's in a boat and Jesus calls to him and says, Peter, get out of the boat, come and walk to me. And Peter's dad has been a, um, a fisherman for, sorry, Peter's dad was a fisherman, he's a fisherman, he's always been a fisherman. When he went to fisherman's school, the very first rule is, stay in the boat. <laughs> Don't get out of the boat. He's battling with logic. Jesus is saying, come to me, but that's the sea. Where's our logic? Where's our logic? You know, when we hear our logic and we hear, and it's contradictory to the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord has to win. It has to win. And it should lead us, our logic should lead us to faith. See, Jesus is calling me out onto the water. And if he's calling me, then I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I'm going to be okay. Faith. Once you get back to faith, that excitement comes back. That expectancy comes back. And you move forward and you give. Extravagant giving is not about the, mo it's not about the amount. Remember that. It's a question of our hearts question of our perspectives. The generous heart, like Mary, is surrendered to him, flowing with that gratitude. That heart reaches extravagance, was able to give extravagantly. The selfish heart, not surrendered to his will. The heart that values stuff and money more than people, won't be able to experience the extravagant giving. Won't experience what it's like, so they're not gonna do it. It isn't for the wealthy few. Extravagance is not for a wealthy few. Regardless of income or net worth, we are all called to reflect him and become extravagant givers. Can I invite the worship team to come back up? Guys, we're just gonna have a response time just now. 
We're going to have a response time just now. And so take this time just to chat to God. Maybe you've been really challenged by some of the things that were shared. Maybe you've been really encouraged. Maybe God's been saying something to you to do that's been through the service or even often God does stuff in preparation. Maybe he's been telling you to do something which is just a little out there. If you want to pray through that, that's fine. We pray through it. So take time to speak to the Lord. Where is your heart at? Is there something that he's calling you to give extravagantly? Do you find generosity hard? If that is the case, ask for the opportunity to get better at giving. Stir yourselves in that. If you're here today, or you're listening to the podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to start this journey with Jesus. You have value. He died for you. The only logical response, if you believe that, is to give him your life. It's to follow him today, to make him Lord of your life. If that's you and you want to start this journey, I just would love to pray with you. I'm going to pray. Just pray it after me. Jesus, thank you for treasuring me. Thank you that you came and paid the price for my sin. Thank you for your extravagant gift of eternal life. I receive you today, Jesus. I make you Lord of my life today. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In your name. Amen. Guys, keep your eyes closed. If anyone here prayed that prayer, just pop your hand up in the air. If you're on the podcast and you prayed that prayer, please send us a message through the website. We'd love to connect with you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. If you want prayer now, have your hands open, palms facing up in front of you and someone will come around and just pray with you. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for that word, God. And Lord, I pray for us that we would just journey deeper into your heart for your people to how we should hold our money, how we should, what we should be valuing, God. Lord, I pray for a great abundance in this place, God. I pray, Lord, for a growth in wealth and a willingness to send, God. Lord, I ask that you would lead us on individually and as a church on this journey of extravagance, God, that you can rely on us, that we could be like Solomon, that you could trust us to follow your lead, to follow what we hear, to follow what you're saying to us. Guys, I just bless you. I bless you with that gift of generosity now in Jesus' name. I bless you. Holy Spirit, you are the giving spirit, the generous spirit. Just fill each of us afresh. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Fill me afresh with generosity. Let, Lord, let that gift of giving rise afresh in amongst us, God. 
in your beautiful name. Amen. <laughs>